Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Bud, as always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, and Napa Valley, California. New Iberia, Louisiana's Louisiana hot sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, improvement of any meal or darn near any meal. And the good people at Tarpon Cellars, 20% off. Uh, go ahead and get moving on your holiday gifts in general. That's just a general piece of knowledge from old Uncle Ingram. And uh, if you want to consider going ahead and grabbing a bottle of Tarpon Cellars, there's no better holiday gift than that. So tarponcellars.com, coupon code NOLCAST, 20% off. Do it and do it sooner than later. Uh, so with that, bud, let's jump into this UNC. I, I thought about you today, by the way, uh, with, with, with that tip. A uh, buddy of mine uh, was trying to ship some stuff and he uh, he said normally it costs him this time of year about 2300 bucks, and he was offering 15000 to ship it and there were still no takers. It's a tough world out there in the logistics so, scene. Yeah, man. Import, export yeah. is tough. You want to go ahead and get your products now. So uh, that's, again... Just a friendly suggestion off or out of the gates here on the NOLCast. So, Bud, interesting game and set of teams that we have to try to preview here. Uh, Florida State has been, well, they've been the team that they've been, but they've been a little bit erratic. And UNC is kind of the definition of erratic so far as far as a program with tons of hope, optimism, and uh, a thought that they could really be the class of the Coastal, if not the Conference. Um and in many ways, I don't want to say that was totally dashed in week one, but certainly thrown for a pretty big loop. And then a really strange game in Atlanta two weeks ago, UNC comes out of the gate looking like a, looking like a really nice team and ends up really getting run off the field in the final 10 minutes of the game or so, uh, in a kind of a surprise loss to Georgia Tech. So a three and two UNC game or UNC team that is very talented, but at the same time has its holes and uh, is not the easiest team to predict either. So tonight's show will be an interesting one. It, it will. I, I do not have a ton of confidence in like my game prediction here. Uh, I didn't put anything in the Buds Bets column yet uh, for this. I'll, I'll probably you know be watching it for live wagering purposes. Uh, the line on this, I think, is what, 17-ish right now? Uh, maybe 18, depending on, on where you look. And so I can tell you some things that I'm fairly confident with UNC. Uh, First, I think their offense is actually better than it has looked so far. Um, they're actually number two in offensive SP plus in the country, uh, which is pretty wild. And you would think that's a little tough to do, given the fact that they only scored 10 points at Virginia Tech and uh, they lost the game to Georgia Tech, uh, where they only scored 22 points. Now, in their other games, they've put up uh, 38 and 59 on UVA and uh, 59 as well on Georgia State. This is an offense that moves the ball pretty damn well. Uh, it is quarterbacked by Sam Howell. They're going to be a pretty heavily, heavy RPO-based attack. Uh, and, of course, if you listen to the cast, you know we harp on the idea that the RPO is actually not quarterback keep or, or quarterback give. It's throw or give uh, in, in the strictest sense of the word. It's run pass option. Uh, it's not it's, it's not, you know, zone read. Although they, they certainly do uh some of that. It's an offense that's kind of operate at tempo. Um maybe not an insane tempo, but certainly they they will, you know, go quickly uh when when they get first downs. Uh it is also an offense that it's interesting because I feel like some of their efficiency numbers are counter to the narrative. 
and counter to what you see almost. So last year, they had a bunch of very good receivers and some really awesome backs. And yet, the, they lost a lot of those guys. And this year, the narrative is, hey, the run game is not as good. And on an efficiency basis, that's actually not true. Uh, they're 14th in rushing success rate. They're 13th in rushing efficiency. Uh, now, they don't hit a whole lot of real explosive runs. But on, on the passing game side, it's interesting here, they're only 67th in passing success rate and 69th in passing efficiency. But they do hit bombs, uh, legitimately. They will hit, they'll hit balls over the top on you. They are 13th in passing explosiveness. And, and I think part of the narrative here comes just formed based on what we saw in the first game. I, I listen to a lot of UNC podcasts. Shout out Inside Carolina. Those guys do a tremendous job. I and mean, they literally have eight podcasts a week. Uh, so, you know, there, there's always, always somewhere else we could take this thing. But my thought was this UNC team, if it was going to take the next step, I wasn't really worried about the running backs that much, but I, I was thinking, okay, the offensive line has to somehow take a step forward. And it really hasn't necessarily. Uh, and the defensive line is going to have to grow up and arrive potentially a year early because they have some studs over there. And, and we'll talk about that. But their run game early in the year was not very good. And since then, they, they've actually involved Sam Howell quite a bit more uh, running the football, which which has helped them. They, they, they've probably had to run him more than they've wanted to, uh, but the reward has been strong. He's, he's run the ball extremely well uh, for them. And yet, this has kind of been a bit of a feast of fan on offense, right? You've played three defenses that are just flat out bad, I think. I mean, Duke's defense is bad. Virginia's defense is like really bad. Um, it's actually rated worse than FSU's defense somehow. So they put 59 on, on UVA. Uh, and then Georgia State's defense is very bad. And I think that was the last game that Georgia State had all the COVID stuff. So. A, it's Georgia State. B, it's Georgia State what wants to push tempo and then C, you know, COVID. Um, but this is still an offense that, that you have to, you really have to fear. I, I know you went back and watched the Georgia Tech game. What, what did you notice in that? Uh, really, it was a game that UNC looked like they had the chance to almost put an early knockout on them. I mean, they come out, they are super explosive on defense. They block a punt, which, by the way, label me, I know this is in the special teams part of the preview, but if you go back and watch the last punt against Syracuse, we flirt with getting that blocked, and UNC will try to block one. Uh, so, you know, maybe be cute and have them kick left-handed or left-footed, right-footed, whatever. Uh, let me go ahead and be let you know that uh, that's something you need to have an eye on. Uh, they wore down a little bit. It's too uh, – look, they've only played five games, uh, and it's, it's real easy to say something like this, but their three games at home have been against – worst competition, but they've been a much better team at home than they have in the road. Uh, they weren't playing at Bobby Dodd. They were playing in the Dome, uh, meaning the Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in Atlanta. So it wasn't some kind of super competitive atmosphere, fairly uh, close game until the final eight minutes or so. And then uh, Georgia Tech hits a couple long runs uh, as they as they kind of sealed the game there. But uh, Carolina looked, again, like they were about to land an early knockout blow. Tech stayed in. Tech kind of chipped away at them. And I don't want to say Carolina quit, but it was kind of a, a game where everything started to click for Georgia Tech and there wasn't a whole lot of response for, for Carolina. So while we're talking about this, I will say that Josh Downs, uh, as we talked a little bit about the run game, 
Josh Downs is probably the best wide receiver Florida State's played so far. Atlanta kid. Uh, yeah, uh, Metro Atlanta kid, Suwannee, uh, Gwinnett County, uh, North Gwinnett High School, which is a real good program up there. Um, it, it, I, he's the most explosive wide receiver, certainly. Maybe he's the best, maybe he's not. Uh, the, the Wake Forest kid that Florida State did a pretty good job covering is a, a decent receiver in his own route or in his own right. But uh, kind of a small, kind of a 5'10", 5'11", guy. Uh, maybe if you want to look for a Florida State example, kind of a Lavernius Coles. I don't know if he has world-class speed, but is super explosive and gets to top speed really quickly. He's if quick you, as hell. Yeah. yeah, quick as hell. And if you've got linebackers that are just needlessly giving credence to play action on third and 13, he will he will get a 12-yard reception and turn it into a 40-yard gain. I mean, you you do not want to let this guy – uh, catch a ball, break the initial tackle because he's not going to pick up six yards. He's got the he's got the ability to pick up twenty six, uh, if not more, after that. So Downs is as an explosive player uh, as far as a pass catcher that Florida State's probably seen all year. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with that. Um, I'll just tell you all right now uh, that a couple things. Number one, FSU is a better man to man team than it is a zone team, and I want to be able to play man-to-man against North Carolina. However, I'm not really convinced that FSU has the dudes to play man-to-man against North Carolina, so they're they're in a bit of a catch-22 here. Like, if they could play zone... Well, I mean, the thing is, against some of the RPO stuff, if you can run more man and you can run it well, it's a better answer, right? Because you're not putting your backers in the same amount of conflict as you are if, if you're running zone. But I'm really not confident that FSU can hold up in man-to-man and so I think it needs to try to die a slow death here, probably, uh, and see if its defensive front, which is now down Dennis Briggs, which obviously sucks, uh, can win up front against North Carolina's attack and, and give yourself some extra help there against Josh Downs. Obviously, Travis Jay's banged up. they got a whole bunch of different guys playing in the secondary. There's no chemistry there right now. Um, I think we've already discussed openly. Like It really wouldn't shock us if there's a coaching change at the end of the year the defense coordinator position, this could be the game where the dam breaks on on, on the defense. Uh, North Carolina absolutely has the chance to frustrate you pretty badly. Um, they are very good in like third and long. They have a, a knack for making plays there. Their passing down success rate is actually 10th in the country. So even though you think you got them in a long down in this situation, they end up converting. So that that's that's not great. Uh, for you at at all. Now, I don't want to be very negative, um, although I guess I could be. I mean, you're you're a seventeen and a half point underdog. If, yeah, if we're exactly. negative, there's, 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 there's for a reason. We're not just sitting here uh, loving this. This is not a great matchup for you. Okay, uh, point blank. I have some personnel concerns as well, but I've had that for the last two weeks, and we'll see. You know if that comes to fruition or not. And I don't mean to be vague, but you just can't. You, you get people fired if you go about talking about who you're not sure if they're going to play this game. I just will say that that's been a trend for Florida State. For the most part, they've had some of their iffy guys be able to go, some of them not. Um, we'll keep an eye on the depth chart. I will note a couple things. First, and this is just nitpicking at it, but there, there could be something there. North Carolina, for the most part, has played one good defensive line, and that's the Hokies and they scored 10 points. This I, I mentioned earlier in the show that this offensive line was a key for them taking the next step forward. 
it would have to improve. It would have to get better. It is not. It's actually, I'm not convinced better than it was last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they've, they've rotated some centers. Georgia State's defensive line is not anything special. Virginia does not have guys this year on the defensive line. Duke, ditto, for the most part. Georgia Tech, occasionally, but, but I mean, FSU does have some guys, like Jermaine Johnson is a legitimately very good player. Cooper's playing fairly well on the inside. If Lovett, you know, if, if Lovett's all, all good to go, he could cause some problems. Keir Thomas is, is you know, a decent player. We haven't really seen North Carolina have success against a good defensive line yet this year. They're basically 0 for 1. There is an outcome of this game, and I don't think it's super likely, but it is possible, so we should address it, in which FSU's offense or defensive line just goes out there and whips UNC's front and causes all kinds of problems. For the Tar Heels, and I have some numbers to support that as well. You know, we're we're kind of a data driven podcast, but we also watch the games. Uh, and when I watched that game against Virginia Tech, I, I saw Botek beat them up front pretty well. So uh, Hal definitely holds the ball for a long time, scrambles around, makes a lot of plays. However, also they are 124th in sack rate allowed. Sacks are definitely a quarterback stat as well, uh, as we know. So part of that's on Hal. Part of that's on the offensive line. Passing down sack rate, 128. So only two teams worse in the country uh, in passing down sack rate allowed. And I don't actually think FSU's not one of them. All right. Uh, we're, we're up to 114th in that category right now. Uh, so, yeah. Um, although, interestingly, like nobody blitzes FSU at all because there's just no reason to. Te- not a lot of people blitz North Carolina either. They're actually 95th in blitz, in blitz percentage faced. Uh, so teams are believing that their defensive line can get home against the Tar Heels. And I think that's probably a fair belief. The question is going to be like, can you get them in third and long? Can you actually get them off the field with your defensive line? Can your back end hold up at all? How long can you hide your linebackers? I'm not real confident that you can. I mean, Deloach is somebody who I, I feel fairly confident in. Lundy and Gaynor and you know, Dix and just... Not not at all in space. I mean, this is not a good matchup for those guys in space right now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I feel for their offense. Um, I will say they do miss their backs from last year, I think, but it's not like Ty Chandler is a bad runner. He's just not quite as good as two guys who are are getting burned in the NFL. Yeah, almost anybody would. Almost anybody, yeah. but a. Certain SEC West school would miss uh, losing those two kids. Uh, that's 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 what it, what what they have going on there. It is possible. I mean, but Fuller's going to have to coach his butt off. It's possible. I mean, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be too oversimplistic. I really feel like you've almost got to knock Sam Howell Sam Howell out of the game to have a chance. And I know that's real, that's real simplistic preview type stuff. But uh, you've got to get to him. Uh, you've got to maybe start to make him see ghost or have a, have an ankle, have something. I mean, you're going to have to significantly impact what they can do and have something occur that can kind of mask, uh, your back six or seven, or depending on how you're lining up. Yeah. Your Deloach has been okay. Monday's been okay. Uh, not trying to pick on kids, but everybody else from there on down the linebacker position is really, really quite scary when I watch uh, film. And the last team that really could throw the ball that you faced was was Wake. 
I mean, I'm concerned that you gave up as many pass stuff as you did to Louisville because uh, they're not a good throw team. And then even Syracuse threw the ball a little bit on you. And then you couldn't handle Schrader. Uh, so I'm kind of down. Like if I'm if I, if Lundy's a stock, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit selling right now. Uh, entering the stretch games, unfortunately for him, always knew there were teams that he matched up better against and teams that he didn't. And that's just you know the way the guy's built. So it's a good way to put that. Not yeah. not a whole lot you can say otherwise. So, um, all right. Before we flip it over to uh, what it looks like when Florida State has the ball, we'll let you brag on Chad and Shannon, a dynamic duo if there ever was one in the home loan space and people that we've uh, been ever so fortunate to work with as long as we have. That's right. The legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans just absolutely killing it out there. Get another home loan this week. What are we at, like 210, 220? Uh, 844-FSU-LOAN, just just racking up the stats. Uh, their, their scouting report every week is just awesome, right? It's track record, it's customer service, it's that personal touch, great rates, and uh, and just customer service throughout the process. Having a, like getting a home loan is not fun. Getting a home is that's a cool part. Like nobody's like, yeah, I really am excited about the mortgage process. No, that that's not a thing. Uh, that you're that, but like they make the process easier for you, and uh, we we absolutely love them for it. Proud sponsors of the Nolcast, and we thank them for that eight four four FSU loan. Of course, tell them we sent you. Should we discuss the North Carolina defense? Yeah, I guess we probably need to. Uh, interesting unit, talented. I like kind of what they do with their linebackers at time. They'll be uh, Jay Bateman's a good coordinator. They'll be creative in how they test uh, your pass pickups, uh, particularly come up with some creative stuff on the inside. So, uh, I guess in theory, if you wanted to test one part of your line, you would somewhat rather have them test that than. Uh, the tackle who uh, is giving it all he can, but can't really move his feet right now. So, um, yeah, they they do some nice stuff. So decent defense to watch. Some decent personnel. I mean, you when you watch tape, you can tell Carolina's stacked a couple pretty decent classes together. Uh, they've got they've got some nice athletes on that side of the ball. They have. Um, it, it's it's interesting to me here. There's a lot of underlying metrics that I like about this defense, and then a couple that make me say, "Damn!" If I'm a North Carolina fan, this has got to be a frustrating thing for me to watch, right? To start, they do a pretty good job of limiting explosive runs. That's not a great sign for FSU, right? They're you know, 43rd in the country in limiting explosiveness. That's that's top third-ish of, of the sport. But they will allow you to run the football on them some. And some teams have been able to play some keep away. Certainly, we saw Vatek do that in the opening week. Um, now, on the passing side, they are much better on a down-to-down basis as far as like taking away success rate. Uh, but they have been leaky in the back end. That's not a good thing. You never want to be leaky in the back end in any area. <laughs> and defense is certainly one of those one of those things you don't want to be leaky in the back end uh, with. They're 101st in uh, in passing explosiveness allowed. It's not like they've played a ton of good passing teams, you know. And part of that also comes on passing downs. This has got to be infuriating. North Carolina does a pretty good job on, on getting off the field on third down. But when they don't get off the field on third down, it seems like it's an 80-yard bomb that they've given up, right? Uh, I mean, they're they're 14th in passing down success rate and 96th in passing down explosiveness allowed. So when things go wrong for them on passing downs, they go real wrong. And that is something that maybe plays into FSU's hands if they can succeed 
on passing downs. We know passing downs for this FSU team are are kind of a dead down anyway. Um, but not always. I mean, FSU's hit some bombs this year on passing downs. It's it's been interesting uh, for what's an absolutely terrible passing game for the Knowles uh, this this cycle. Some important names to know for North Carolina along the defensive line. Um, they they have some dudes here. I will say linebacker uh, Jeremiah Gummel is like really active. He's got what fourteen solos, six assists so far, twenty total tackles. Decent job of creating some havoc. The real like the guy I think is the next stud on their defense though. Um, Tony Grimes is legit. The corner they had, he actually enrolled early last year. He skipped his senior year of high school. He's already very good. Uh, we talked about how all these teams can play man against FSU, and North Carolina absolutely can play man-to-man if they want to against the Seminoles. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, that's not something that you'd love to see because there's nobody on this offense that scares them in man-to-man, I, I, don't, I don't think at least. Linebackers are very, very good. It wouldn't shock me if FSU struggles with this defensive line, which has been okay, but not great at times. So Hasek's a pretty nice player for them. He actually missed the game against FSU last year, and I thought that was one of the keys to FSU winning their nose guard. They'll, he's a good move player. They like, they like to kind of shift him around a formation some, but he, he's, he's a nice player for them. Uh, Murphy has been a, a, a real good player. Tamon Fox is a, is a top pressure guy for those dudes. They, they have some guys. Um, the defense has not been quite as good as they wanted it to be. But I'm not really sure that FSU, given their injury situation along the offensive line, quarterback, and just the total lack of talent at receiver, uh, is in a great position to take advantage of this. Yeah, that's, that is my concern, that the, some of their weaknesses, I just don't know that Florida State's going to be able to take advantage of them. I don't know that they're going to be able to get uh, long enough developing plays to kind of <clears throat> test that back in that we were just talking about. Um, yeah, and you're right. I mean, the, the Grimes kid, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, was a consensus top five-star prospect, uh, rated the number one cornerback by most people in the country, and uh, six foot one, 200 pounds, a guy that as soon as you'll see, you're like, yeah, that is a, it's a different looking athlete. That's a guy that's going to stand out. They've, they've done some really nice pieces. Carolina's done a much better job of getting themselves back into some of the real pockets of talent that they have to recruit from. By that, I mean uh, some of the areas in southeastern Virginia, Virginia Beach, and then doing real well in state. So it's a nice it's a nice roster, has some flaws on it. I just don't know that Florida State's going to be able to be in a place uh, to draw up or execute too many concepts that really puts pressures on the, on the flaws that this defense has. I agree with you on that. Um... You want to get some questions here, or do you want to go predictions? What, what do you want to do? Got a ton of yeah. Let's let's do let's do predictions uh, just to go ahead and have it be a little bit more clean before we move to uh, to the listener questions. Um, but I'll let you fire first here. The one thing that I'm interested in is like Norvell is a guy who plays to win the game, right? We know that when you play to win the game, it takes all those outcomes that are kind of in the middle of the distribution right, where you lose by 7, by 14, by 21, and it kind of expands, right? It increases your chance of winning the game, but it also increases your chance of really getting blown out. Does Mike Norvell go more image management in this game following a win? 
Like if it starts to get away from him, does he does he continue to try to win the game? Because there is an optimal way to play the thing, to play the game if you're trying to win. And that optimal way is to continue to go for it. However, that also increases your chance of getting blown out. So it's weird. It's like this thing that increases your chance of winning, but also increases your chance of losing bigger. It just decreases your chance of losing like small and medium. That That is kind of like if they punt the ball, you know, and just try to melt clock and, and that type of thing, I could see 38, 24, something like that. That's your, that's your, that's your playing to keep it respectable line. Uh, well, I mean, if, if they, you know, like, sure. But if, if FSU gets some turnovers and his defensive line totally eats hell, like they're not 50 to one to win the game. Like they, there is a scenario in which they can win the game. It's, it's unlikely, uh, but it is possible. Uh, I will go. I'll go forty-eight twenty. Um, I'm not real confident in in, in this, but then it, that's a dumb prediction. Like this, this is why I'm not betting. I, I feel like there's a lot of unknowns on both sides. UNC has some health issues on its offensive line. I do think FSU's defensive line is good. Give me uh, give me forty-two to twenty. Uh, thirty-five sixteen somewhere in that area. I just don't think this is just one of these games that I. I've got a question about how you score points, really. Um, and, you know, we'll see what the personnel looks like. And every week it changes a little bit. And uh, hopefully Florida State will be able to put as best a foot forward. But I uh, never loved this matchup in general and uh, think that you'll have a hard time having some of the similar production that you've had recently, at least with, with Jordan in there at quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that's that's likely true. Um, I forgot who it was, but on Twitter, somebody shared some really good stats as far as FSU. Uh, like how often they score a touchdown when Jordan's at quarterback and how often they score everybody else is. And Jordan's rate is like three or four X everybody else. But the thing is, is Jordan healthy? You know what I mean? Like he took some shots in, in the game last week. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Corey Clark, if that was you, I'll give you credit. If it wasn't, I'm sorry for misattributing that. Uh, so, did he, did he, what what uh, what did we misattribute? Oh no, I th- I thought I saw Corey tweet that out, but I may just be giving. Somebody oh no, somebody tweeted that at me. It oh was, okay, it was, uh, okay. Um, it's a stat today. Good deal, Corey. I gave you all kind of pub. So there you go. Uh, listener questions. We'll first start this from Dan. Uh, Dan says. <laughs> Uh, his second question is kind of funny. So are we going to be worse on defense next year? We lose Johnson, Keir, Briggs, uh, just got hurt and won't have a chance to develop into the player that he looked like he was uh, going to be. I mean, you're certainly going to have to have some success in the transfer portal to be decent. Yeah, the answer is yes. They will be worse on defense unless the secondary gels a lot better. Or you get like a real bona fide linebacker. I mean, which is not going to erase the personnel that you're losing up front, but there are some real big holes uh, on this team and maybe you, you get a little bit of patchwork and it's hard to hard to say exactly how people are going to fit in or what kind of talent that would be interested in coming to Florida state. Uh, but you're certainly not going to have the defensive line uh, that you do this year, next year. Which is why I think, you know, you probably need to make a change at defense coordinator, to be honest, because like you need to like get a guy in there next year, allow him to install his scheme that he wants to run and then hopefully see some real improvement in 2023. We can talk about that a lot next week. I do think you're going to end up making a defense coordinator change. I've got a pretty good amount of empathy for your defense coordinator at the same time. I mean, uh, this is a... I'm not sure how much some of those guys care. In my opinion, it's a, it's a justified move if it occurs, uh, but you have to you have to also have uh, 
and ideas to some of the challenges that are in that job right now. So it is his job though to to, to connect with those guys, and and yep. you know and he's paid a lot of money to do it, right? So like, I don't always like everybody I work with, but I I got to make sure that they they work hard and and you know they um, are five games in, and you're still seeing alignment issues, communication issues. I mean stuff that you just can't can't have at this point. Um, and so a conversation for next week. The second question that Dan asked. No, this is not a Travis Hunter question, who I guess just happens to be uh, really head over heels for Florida State. Well, we certainly hope for uh, hope so. Hypothetically, Dan asks, you're a four- or five-star player, very talented. You're being recruited by UGA and FSU. From a business perspective, why in the heck, slightly edited, would you actually choose Florida State right now? <laughs> um, Dan, you would choose Florida State, and it's, uh, it's not a Travis Hunter question, but you would choose Florida State. If you want to start immediately, uh, if you you know want to look at what both Miami and Florida State's best defensive players this year, probably kids that transferred off that Georgia roster, just to give you an idea as to how talented that side of the ball for them is. Uh, so yeah, if you want a chance to start immediately, if you do have an interest in uh, you know not just going to the school that's uh, doing nothing but nailing top three recruiting classes year after year after year. Uh, and you want to be a little bit of a change agent, then yeah, that's that's how you do that. Um, and hopefully with you being that change agent, you happen to have some of these uh, business possibilities open up. But you're not, Florida State is not going to win a, uh, you know, a, I guess what previously has been a bag for bag or in the future will be an NIL versus NIL uh, program battle with Georgia right now. It's just two different teams speaking a, very different recruiting language. I agree with you on that. It's, it's going to be a different kind of kid, right? Somebody who is self-motivated, believes that he's going to go to the league, regardless, wants to be part of a rebuild, you know, like, like LaMarcus Joyner, right? Like, like like Jeff Luck. Now, granted, Luck didn't go to the league. Joyner obviously did. Um, playing time and exposure matter a whole lot, both for getting the league, but also for your name, image, and likeness. You know, if you happen to be uh, the son of an all-time great at the school, Obviously, your name, image, and likeness value is going to be a lot more, and I'm sure that's being pitched, right? Like that's exactly the pitch. I hope so. I hope uh, I hope they're able to follow through on that pitch too. Um, but yeah, I, I have no doubt they will on that one. I think there's enough people out there who really grew up loving loving senior that uh, you know that would like like his value. I think clearly at FSU is much greater than anywhere else um, nil wise. Talking to a guy with a picture a senior on his wall right now. So uh, you are, you are absolutely right about that. You know, but like, I think the main thing is just somebody's gonna be a self-starter and somebody who cares about playing early and developing early. And, um, you know, your point about, you know, look, best player in Miami's defense, best player in Ivy's defense, we're both from, from Georgia. Uh, hell, the best player in Ole Miss defense is probably Otis Reese. He's a Georgia transfer. Is Brenton Cox the best player on Florida's defense? Because he's a Georgia transfer. <laughs> Thanks, Kirby. Thanks. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Santa Kirby. Um, yeah. All right. What about Mason's question here? He asks, uh, hey, instead of focusing on the shortfalls, let's have fun and focus on Miami's. How should we react to Miami disappointing start to the season and its impact on recruiting the FSU game? And where does Manny stand with job security? Well, I, th- I think everybody needs to come to the sad realization that my- all of Miami's problems have been fixed, but because they had the much-vaunted player-only meeting, uh, I believe it was today, brought upon after a uh, 
supposedly, this is coming from Miami media, supposedly a pretty decent, uh, you know, some decent hands were thrown at practice uh, amongst the squad. So they got it all hashed out in the, uh, you know, much vaunted player only meeting. And I'm sure Miami will be nothing but up from here on out. But uh, yeah, it's a mess. I mean, you know, it's hard to laugh at a program when you're one and four and you lost to Jacksonville State. People at Florida State didn't think they were going to be good this year. Miami was telling a very different story. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. So the weird thing, I actually dug into this a little bit on cover three. Miami's having a bit of like a youth movement right now. Like they're playing a whole lot of their, their freshmen. Uh, I'm actually surprised at how many of their freshmen are seeing the field early for them. I don't know if that means like the guys they signed in 19 and 20 just haven't been developed or whatever. Uh, but that's an interesting situation. I think Manny's buyout is eight or nine. We'll see if Miami actually wants to pay that. We will see if uh, who they go get. Like, obviously, if you can go get Cristobal, I, I think you do it, right? And there's some reason to think that Cristobal may have more interest in that job than that job would suggest. Okay. Well, then you, you'd, I'd, I'd love to know that. His brother, his brother's a cop down there in Miami. His whole family's still down there in Miami. I know he does, like, I, I listened to Bruce Feldman talk about this. Like, he does have, like, real, uh, you know, feelings for the city and, and, and the U and whatnot. But also, like, who's USC going to hire? Because it's probably not going to be Urban Meyer after what happened this week. If, uh, if Urban Meyer was too much for, uh, for the USC president back in the day, as I think Carol Fult was reported to, uh, who was the USC president, was reported that thought. Cristobal's already shown he can recruit the West Coast at an elite level. And Things aren't great right now at that Oregon program internally. So it wouldn't shock me to see him leave there. Does he pick Miami or does he pick USC? If you pick USC, you kind of know what the deal is. And for the most part, if you do it right, you're going to have right of first refusal on all the kids west of the Rockies who you want. And we've seen what USC looks like when when it has that. Miami also has elite potential, but it's a, I think it's a more challenging job, even though it's in a more talented city. Uh, they're both super talented, obviously. Um, but I think people have come in and recruit Miami uh, more recently. I, I don't think Diaz is a bad coach, to be honest. Like they just had some stuff go wrong with them this year. I'm sure some of their player development has been lacking in some areas. Like, look, they were banking on King coming back healthy and doesn't look like the same guy, not nearly as explosive. Jaron Williams has, you know, hasn't played to their their standard. They've had a couple offensive linemen go down, and the backups that they thought they had weren't that good. Uh, I think the secondary, for the most part, has been okay. They didn't like their linebackers that much, and then they had Keontre Smith go down. That hurt them. Um, obviously, it's, it's Michigan State. Uh, and then I think on the defensive line, this is an area of interest to me. They have not replaced the guys they had on the defensive line. Like the transfers they took didn't hit. And they, the guys they recruited just aren't ready to make an impact there. So they're not, they don't have the difference makers who can be erasers on that defensive line right now. Um, you saw it with Michigan State, right? I mean, Miami is dead last in the nation in tackling right now, like as far as like missed tackle percentage. That's, I'm not saying Andy Diaz defenses are always great at tackling, but that is certainly a, a, a concern. But it's not helping them recruit, for sure. Like, I guarantee you FSU is not as worried about Miami for Wesley Saint as they are, like, West Virginia or Penn State. 
and I don't think they're worried about losing Daughtry to Miami now. Uh, yeah, almost would have liked uh, for Manny to have kept it together a little bit more, and maybe he'll get another year. I, I personally don't put a lot of stock into the Christian Bull talk, but maybe you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong on that. I just think when you're that far away or been a, away from an institution for that long, and you've had success, and you've had success. Uh, granted, you've had to go and recruit at distance, but you've had a uh, success with a program that has a almost a uh, you know, unlimited access to resources uh, that you would have a little bit of a concern about going back and taking that Miami job in today's current college football client. But, uh, you know, somebody who's there, who's got deep emotions for the U, maybe he takes that job. I would be, I for one would be very surprised. Um, Austin says on a more enjoyable note, because Lord, it must be hard for you both to run a podcast during this period of Florida State football. What is it about this season that has uh, had the most positive takeaway? I'll give you a guy on both sides of the ball. So Darius Washington, right? Kind of proof of concept, comes back from injury, looks good, developing. It's a piece you can kind of build around on the offensive line. I think he's looked he's look good, and he's not a guy who thinks going to go pro early or anything like that, right? Like he's not a surefire NFL player, but like a decent college player. It's nice to have one of those on the offensive line. To be very blunt here, uh, them still finding ways to score points with this group is encouraging in the long term, I think, for the offensive staff. Um, although certainly some of their offensive transfers they took have not worked out nearly as well as their defensive transfers have. And then defensively, I hope I don't steal yours, but like Deloach has been uh, a nice surprise, I guess, that, that he actually developed. So yeah, that was good. It's interesting because, like, I I don't think that Marv is doing a bad job of coaching his backers, for the most part. The questions about him are all just, can he recruit at all? Yeah, uh, I've got some questions about what's being taught or not out of execution at linebackers. I mean, the I think the Syracuse game was a partic- particularly nasty game for the backers, um, but yeah, uh, I mean, it was Deloach on <clears throat> on defense certainly, and. Uh, just the defensive line in particular. I mean, I know that uh, I don't want to say people are eager to get ready, rid of a, eager to get rid of Odell. That would be a, a falsehood. But I know that there's people that are out there that realize that you know you'll have a new defense tackle coach at some point in the near future. Odell does a really good job with that group, man, and it's very consistent. And he takes pieces, turns them into good football players, and. Uh, Man, losing Briggs sucks. I'll just echo what you said. That's that's a really unfortunate situation. We've said that for two podcasts in a row. Sucks in the manner that you lost him. Sucks that you don't have him for this game. I'd be significantly more optimistic if you had another real starter piece along the defensive line. Um, so credit to Odell for continuing to turn out really good interior guys and Deloach being the player that people thought he could be last year. Uh, and credit to him. Didn't have the year that he wanted to. Stuck with it. A lot of other people would have hit the portal. He hit the weight room, tried to get as big as possible with that frame, and has turned into a pretty decent linebacker. Agreed on that. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and take... We've got a couple more here, and we'll, we'll save some of these for the bye week, I guess. Matt wanted, wants to know about, like, is there anybody FSU can negatively recruit? I think we covered part of that, like, if they wanted to in the Miami section, right? Um, you know, consistency of message. I don't think there's anybody that FSU was telling was going to be a good team this year. You know, Miami probably was pitching they're going to be pretty good. So if you wanted to, you could say like, "Hey, like you know, we 
this was not going to be our year when you guys knew that, right? Like this was supposed to be their year and it's not, uh, it ain't happening. Do, uh, do fully committed recruits ever get sent on missions to other recruiting events as moles to try and get other recruits? Any recent significant or hilarious examples? I've heard of this happening. Um, we've, we've all heard of stories, I think, of like kids going and then like trying to recruit somebody else. For the most part, I don't think staff are trying to do this. You know, they just they don't want to waste a kid's time. Not that it never happens. I'm sure when a kid goes to another recruiting event that the staff wants to talk to him to see kind of what happened there and what people are saying and whatnot. They're, they're going to be curious. Uh, but I, I don't think that happens quite as much as people think. Yeah, it happens a lot more on the message boards than it does in reality. Now, there occasionally it'll happen. I know like 20 years ago, Florida State sent a kid that was committed to Florida home halfway through his visit because it was pretty obvious what he was doing. But I just had to think of something that happened two decades ago. I, I think there was a story in the 2012 class somewhere in that area. So, hey, maybe once every 10 to 12 years, is, uh, if we're looking for a Haley's Comet type of uh, pattern here. But, yeah, again, this is something that's uh, fun to talk about on message boards uh, late on a Saturday night after a couple guys have had brown liquor. But, uh, again, uh, bantered about far more frequently than actually happens, in my opinion. We've got a couple more here. Uh, Bobby wants to know, hey, any parallels to Matt Brown's 2019 UNC team in this roster? They went 6-6 six and six and had close games all season. Lost App State by a field goal and then played number one Clemson the next week, losing uh, on a failed two-point conversion. I remember a lot of people saying it was a young team ready to take the next step in 2020 and just had to figure out how to finish and win games. Oh, man. I hate these questions that set me up to be negative. I, look, I don't think this team is anywhere close to taking a step. Right? I don't think they're going to be much better next year. Right. I mean, do you like, I don't see them taking a leap next year. Maybe they will. I, I, I kind of doubt it. You could be better in segments, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see what you do at, at quarterback. Yeah. It's a long-term rebuild. I think, uh, I think Duffy may well be your starter. I also think that people expectations for Duffy are way too high than they should be. I'm not knocking the kid. You mean like year one expectations? Yeah. Yeah. Year one expectations. Not, not overall, not what the kid develops into, but um, you know, you know, starting a freshman at quarterback is uh, fraught with danger, certainly. So, yeah, we'll just have to see. I mean, it w- it would if you can get this class together and you can keep it a top 12, 15 class. It'd be interesting, interesting to see what this program looks like with some real kind of top level elite elite talent. I mean, I know you've signed a couple guys in the secondary. You have uh, a bunch of stars next to them. But you haven't signed a couple guys like you've got signed on the class or at least that you were flirting with a couple weeks ago. So if you can get some of those real game breakers in, be interesting to see how early they start to flash. And uh, you certainly think that that would raise the floor a little bit on what you could do in conference and maybe win one or two more games than you would otherwise. Let's see. Uh, That's more a bi-week question. Steven, I share your frustrations with special teams. We'll talk about it during the bye and hopefully not have any more recent additions to add to your question. Uh, Dominic says, Knowles win. Knowles win. Knowles win. What has to happen for us to hear this Saturday evening? Um, I think we touched on it, that you probably got to knock the quarterback out and have a very low-scoring game, relatively speaking. I think, what's is the over-under 63, somewhere in the mid to low 60s? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got to have a game that's in the high 40s, I think, total points uh, to win this. And you know, win something, uh, you know, maybe 26 to 23 or something where it's a little bit of a sloppy game and you're able to uh, 
pick up on some critical points in games where you haven't otherwise. Exactly right. I, I think that's uh, I, I, I think that's that's correct. I think you need to be probably plus ooh, plus three in turnovers if you if, if the quarterback stays upright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that seems about right. I mean, if you're plus three in turnovers, you could win this game. UNC has shown the ability to play poorly. Like they're not a perfect team. I think like their their ceiling is much higher than FSU's ceiling, but they've also had two stinkers. Uh, and we don't really know what they're going to do against a good defensive line. So it's absolutely possible that FSU comes out there and plays them tough. I don't know what's going to happen in this game. My real thing is I just don't know how this offensive staff can keep this team scoring. And I don't mean scoring like 40. I just mean like scoring. Like I, I think they, I mean, they might have a shutout in them this year. There's a lot of concerning stuff about the offense. So let's go and take, uh, well, first let's thank our friends at Congruity. As always, we'll thank our friends at Congruity, uh, great people that we've been able to work with starting our second year with uh, Matt Lewis and his team. Uh, you know, for most people who will find Congruity uh, from listening to this ad, it will be for a need for payroll or something similar to that. So if you're a, a decision maker in a business or report to one and you guys are exploring your payroll options, certainly encourage you to reach out to Matt uh, and his team. Matt's been a great uh, guy for us to work with and has been fantastic for the uh, other NOLCast listeners that have since chosen to partner with him. You can go to congruityhr.com to find out more about the business in general. Uh, if you want to reach out to Matt, uh, we'll give you the number that we do every week, 844-247-4100. I'll also say that of, I think, the uh, 80% of the people that have signed up with Matt have actually reached out to me originally to uh, make the connection. And if you feel more comfortable doing that, I certainly understand. Uh, you can DM me on Twitter or send us an email or something like that. And uh, we can talk a little bit about how you guys might best partner uh, before bringing Matt into the conversation. But you can reach him at uh, email knowles at congruityhr.com or again, 844-247-4100 and uh, a tip of the hat to our friends over at Congruity. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here on some questions from Trey. Trey writes, uh, hey, you mentioned the talent deficiency, which is true. However, the ACC school outside of Clemson regularly recruits FSU. How did FSU fall to the bottom third of the talent in ACC, uh, which is what you guys seem to indicate? Well, I think a lot of it, honestly, guys, is the attrition that they've suffered from having two short season classes and a COVID class in a four-year span. We know the bus rate on those short season classes is astronomical. And the COVID class, I'm not real convinced that they nailed obviously, right? Because it's a COVID class, kind of a kind of a crapshoot. Uh, and that's basically, A, their hit rate's not very good. B, because of all the washouts, when they miss on a kid, the, the person they ha- end up having to play probably really stinks. And we're seeing that in a lot of cases where guys are just not good enough. You also have a major developmental deficit at the school right now because of all the turnovers. And I'm not saying it was the wrong decision to fire Willie. I've been consistent on this, right? I understand why they did it. I think they were justified in doing it. However, they don't get to avoid the consequences of their actions and their decisions. And their decisions nuke this roster. It's not Mike's fault or Willie's fault. It's the administration's fault that that they, they screwed up this roster and they have to deal with it because they made the decision to pull the plug. They said, hey, we're willing to deal with a couple really down years here, post-firing Willie, 
potentially, uh, because we're really worried about the direction of the program under Willie. That's what it is to me. Like I, I assume they knew that at the time because we talked about this on the show every single time that we debated this, right? Like, guys, this is going to screw you up. Uh, I don't know who they is. Uh, I probably could have gone without your athletic director saying, or your acting athletic director saying that six and six isn't good enough at Florida State if you knew you're committing to a full rebuild. But yeah, uh, everything that you just said, and I do think the uh, lack of continuity in the strength of conditioning program has significantly hindered development. Florida State does not look like a and look it's it's Occam's razor here in my opinion. Storms is a really good strength and conditioning coach. I, I don't think that's your problem. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I'm fairly like, confident Me- in Memphis that. Memphis seemed to do a pretty nice job on her. So, yeah. good track record. He's a good strength and conditioning uh, coach based off his record. Uh, Florida State has to continue to do some real work in the weight room. The, the roster's got some, uh, got some pieces that need to be more developed to have been in the program three slash four years. Yeah, and like those guys aren't going to get developed at this point. Right, like they, they need to take the time with the guys who are in you know year year one year two, maybe a couple of those year three year four will take a jump. We'll, we'll see. That's why it's a long term rebuild. It is like they're not going to be much better next year. I don't think. Right, like maybe maybe twenty four they'll be a good team. I find myself yelling at the TV that Florida State should run the ball more, given the fact that we really can't pass and most talent we have on those in the running back group. Am I wrong in this position? Does the screen game make up for it? For the other runs, I would hope that would be more prevalent. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly more complicated than to run the ball more, Trey. And I, I feel like you're kind of hitting that in your your question. Trey's been a longtime supporter of the podcast and um, certainly has a pretty good wrap around uh, the game. Um, look, uh, you got two really good running backs and what I said, Sean squared or whatever with Day, uh, you know, Jay Sean and Trey Sean. Uh, good, good backs. I, I don't. Doesn't really bother me that Treshawn Ward only touched the, or only carried the ball twice last week. He got tons of touches in the past game. Uh, they do a lot of stuff that, whether it be with what they were doing with uh, with Milton against Louisville. Uh, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those little sideways passes that go three yards get listed as, as a pass when it's it's a run. Um, I think you're doing all you can, and uh, we talked about this last podcast where. If you're just looking at probabilities, part of the reason they're calling these pass plays is because something may break down and Jordan may scramble for 11 yards. And that's just kind of what you have to do when you've got an athlete like that. Um, so I think you you have to continue to call pass plays, enjoy the, the modicum of successes where and when you can find them in the pass game uh, because you just can't be a uh, team that, in the most simplistic form, bud, this team can't play Oklahoma, right? You can't line up in a six-yard box with two guys or one guy and try to drive block people. And and you know when it's predictable as to what's going to happen, and situations dictate, you get embarrassed. It's why you do, you know, what half the fan base thinks is really dumb stuff. I get it. Way too cute. Whatever you want to label it, you're doing that for a reason. It's because you can't play simple line up, block, pick up two yards. You can't be too. Uh, you know, hyper predictable when it comes to what you're trying to do in the run game. Very long, verbose answer to the question there, but uh, that's that's where I am at eleven o'clock on a Wednesday night. A couple things here. Um, so Brendan Sinone of Knowles Twenty Four Seven had a great stat the other day, and I don't have the exact thing on top of my head, but basically, I think it was like eighty percent of FSU's rushing yards would come on six rushes. 
it was something insane, right? It was like, like just a, a, and, and the point here was on a down to down basis, FSU's run game is bad. It's not good. The yards per carry numbers cover it up. And FSU does a decent job a couple times a game of tricking the defense and springing Ward and Corbin, who I think are, you know, decent college backs. I know Ingram and I disagree on this. Like, I, I, I'm not convinced those guys get drafted. You know, like, they're, they're good. I don't think they're great. So, here's the thing. Teams are not scared of FSU passing the ball, really at all. They can get pressure on you rushing three sometimes and sometimes four. Uh, FSU is, I mean, 111th in passing success rate, 117th in, in passing efficiency, 111th in passing explosiveness. Uh, they can't throw the ball. Jordan's not a great thrower of the ball. McKenzie's damaged goods. The only thing this offense does well at all, really, is tricking people into hitting explosive runs. And they do do it sometimes. Part of it's though because they'll, they'll line up its four formations that suggest they're going to pass and then they, they kind of mess with the defense's leverage. They're 78th in rushing success rate and 5th in rushing explosiveness, which speaks to Brennan's stat, right? Like, on a down-to-down basis, they're not going to run the ball. They just line up and be like, hey, we're going to run the ball. Teams are actually really good at stopping it for the most part. Um, that is what it is there. They physically, if it issues like, hey, we're going to run it, teams are like, all right, cool, we're going to whip you at the line of scrimmage. And we're not going to face any repercussions based on the receivers you have right now. Uh, Trey also asks, uh, what percentage chance would you put on Fuller being the defensive coordinator next season? You want to prices right this? <laughs> I mean, it sucks. Like, obviously, like, like I, I think the guy's going to lose his job. Um, 10? I'm a little bit more, I would say high, I'd say somewhere between 22 and 28%. Okay. So you're, you're definitely higher than, that, than, than I am on that. Um, I don't think it's a fate of complete, uh, but I, I think it's probably what's going to end up happening. I mean, look, if Norvell can delay it a year, typically you get to fire your coordinators before you get fired yourself, right? If we're being frank about this thing, so. That's, uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, I hesitate to even ask questions for putting the ethos, so please use your discretion. Does Travis Hunter really know he holds the fate of Mike Norvell's career success in his hands? I'm sure he's been told that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it's wrong. The program will be in a tough place to recover with with this coaching staff if you don't sign that kid. I mean, period, point blank. I won't uh, won't sugarcoat it now. And Lord knows, hopefully, we don't do any kind of podcast where we talk about that coming to reality. So um, let's do everything we need to do to make sure that Travis Hunter turns into a Florida State football player. No doubt. All right, man. Um, that's all I got for tonight. All right. Enjoyed it. Preview uh, series are always a little bit of a challenge when you've got a team like this, but uh, particularly when you've got two teams that have a little bit of erratic streak in them. Looking forward to it. One of us will be with you on Saturday with the Instant Reaction Podcast. Here's to it being a Winston Reaction Podcast. Uh, but for now, from Bud, myself, uh, all the people behind the scenes who help make the Nullcast possible, certainly thank you for your listenership. You get a chance to subscribe, like, give us a five-star tune, a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever subscription service uh, or podcast service you may find us on. Know that it's greatly appreciated by myself and Bud. And until Saturday, this has been the Nullcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, five stars on iTunes. See you guys. This has been the Nullcast. The Nullcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright. 
and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.